and welcome to the Company Watch On The Spot podcast. I'm Joe Kettner, CEO of Company Watch, and I'm delighted today to be joined by Philip King, who many of our listeners will know as the former chief exec of the Chartered Institute for Credit Management and more recently Small Business Commissioner from February 2020 to June 2021. And of course, our regular financial and commercial risk analyst, Nick Hood. Welcome both Nick and Philip. Good morning. We're recording today's episode in the morning of Tuesday, the 26th of April. And our topic today is um, the government's statutory review into payment practices, which is um, a topic which is very dear to Philip's heart, having um, kind of set up and run, really, the, the, the Prompt Payment Code, which is a voluntary part, which is meant to kind of support this duty to report um, framework um, during his time at the CICM and then moving it over to the Small Business um, Commissioner remit. Um, and I think it's fair to say, Philip, that you were underwhelmed by the um, the review. So you're going to give us a little bit of, of detail on um, on that. And we have quite a discussion on, um, on what how important this is for, for businesses in general, but particularly small businesses. So, Philip, do you want to... Do you want to start and give us the give us the background to, to this? Yes, sure. Thanks, Joe. Um, I think the, the 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 key thing for me is that I wasn't underwhelmed by the review as such. I'm underwhelmed by government's approach um, and um, diligence in looking at this whole area. Um, the every piece of legislation has to be statutorily reviewed after a period of time, um, and this was that review, and they did a a sort of um, invitation for opinions from people um, on how it had worked. Uh, and the requirements of a statutory review are to set out the objectives that were intended to be achieved, to assess the extent to which those objectives have been achieved, and to assess whether the objectives remain appropriate and the extent to which they could be achieved with less regulation. So it's sort of like a, just a, you know, is it working? Is it right. what it's meant to do? <clears throat> Could it be done better, you know, with, with less hassle, basically? Um, and there's a refer, further review in a couple of years further down the road. Um, so the, the objectives of the um, regulations were to increase transparency and public scrutiny of payment practices of large companies um, mm-hmm. and to school and to give small business suppliers better information so they could make informed decisions about who to trade with, who to supply on credit, and so on. Um, and I can't argue that the statutory review, you know, didn't meet its objectives. It did what it was meant to do. Um, my problem is that I think government has missed a trick. And I think, you know, when I sat down, with, I remember sitting down with, with Matt Hancock when he was small business minister before the legislation in 2015. And he was absolutely um, fixated on making sure that that, that the objectives were clear and that the legislation achieved those objectives. Um, It came through the Small Business Enterprise and Employment Act 2015. There was lots of work around that. They were introduced in 2017. Um, And it's now happening. So the question is, is it happening as well as it should be? And in my view, it's not. Uh, And in my view, it's not because government isn't taking it seriously enough. Um, and without wishing to be too cynical, I think government feels that it's ticked the box and now it can move on. Um, and, 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 you know, this, this stuff shouldn't be about ticking boxes. It should be about making a difference and making a change. Um, you know, th- there are a couple of questions that strike me. Um, are all companies reporting that should be reporting? 
And it's clear from the report that they're not. Yeah. Um, are companies that stop reporting or aren't reporting being checked? Um, I'll give you a quote from the report. It says, government will periodically write to directors of companies who've failed to comply to flag their report is overdue and to remind them of their duty to report. Um, and, it remind, and the letter reminds them of the penalties for not reporting. But has there been any enforcement? None that I've heard of. Mm. Um, so this is a legal requirement. It's a criminal offence not to comply. And yet the government is writing out to directors periodically to remind them. Well, that seems to me to be a bit of a sort of, um, you know, disconnect about what should be happening. Um, and it shows and, you, doesn't it? It shows you how importantly it's being viewed. Because frankly, if it were if it were viewed as, as a really crucial part of, of what the government is trying to do, then you would expect the enforcement measures to be actually enforced. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and there's a lot of criticism in the report about the accuracy, so businesses can, can gain the numbers and stuff. Um, mm. And I wouldn't argue with that. And, and I think that's, you know, that's you know, something that needs to be looked at. But what's more important to me is, you know, are the companies that should be reporting filing reports? Um, mm. and, and I'm not clear that they are. And, and government doesn't seem to be too clear about, you know, who the large companies are that should be reporting. It seems to me that that someone like Company Watch could tell us fairly simply, and you and I have talked about this before, Joan, we could tell you quite simply, these are the companies that meet the criteria. There might be some outliers that are quite difficult to pin down, but for the vast majority, these fit the, fit the requirements and should be reporting. Government could take that list and could write to the ones that aren't reporting from that list and say, you are in, you know, you're not, not complying. It comes back, doesn't it, to I think with something we've I think we've touched on in this in this podcast before about that that kind of disconnect between the way governments think of, of businesses in terms of employee numbers and the way actually the legislation thinks of of, of companies, mm-hmm. which is more in terms of turnover and, and asset metrics. And until recently, um, you know, you didn't you didn't even have to to report your employee numbers to to companies' house. Mm-hmm. So there was a space on the form, but if you left it blank. It, there were, your filing wasn't rejected. And I think now we, we companies have to doing a little bit more to actually collect. But there's no, you know, as we all know, there's no verification of this data at, at Companies House, yeah. which mm-hmm. again makes it makes it very problematic to, to deal with. Yeah, Philip, can I can I just ask, uh, as a complete ignoramus on, on on the detail of all of this, what actually what are, what are the potential sanctions? If the government was to enforce, I mean, what can the government actually do apart from, you know, write write snotty letters and um, demand that people comply? I mean, is there actually a financial penalty or name and shame? It's a a criminal act if you don't comply. Right. So, I mean, and and, and it isn't spelled out, but one would assume that could be going to court, fines, you know, and and a whole whole host of things. Um, Gosh. it, 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 It is a criminal. Okay, so, so that sort of cycles round something, because um, because you, you um, uh, quite rightly complain bitterly about an extremely sort of um, uh, go away, you little people. Um, we're not interested. Response in the, in the House of Lords about the about this review, and and somebody responded to your LinkedIn post about this, just very politely saying. Isn't this sort of thing covered by the G bit of ESG, the current sort of obsession with with all companies uh, worried about um, uh, investors bailing out because they don't comply with ESG? And and, and so I would have thought the threat of, 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 of a criminal prosecution for not complying ought to be enough to make... Um, 
you know, the point your your respondent was making was this is um, you know, this is a this is an, a G bit of the ESG. It's a governance point. But I think it is, but it's also an S part of the ESG because you know the S part is being good corporate citizens. And if you're not paying your suppliers on time, you're not being a good corporate citizen. So I think it covers um, S and G. And I guess it also, you know, I mean, in terms of environment, put businesses out of business, then you're, you know, so that it, it's all encompassed. And I think uh, the, the, the post you're talking about was was a question in the Lords where um, a Lord asked the government, um, Lord Callanan, the, the Bay's um, Lord, you know. Does the government consider whether businesses should be members of the bond payment code before it promotes them and their activities? Um, and the answer was the bond payment code is not compulsory. Well, yes. we all know it's not compulsory, but if 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 paying people on time is important, and by the way, the statutory review, if you look at it, does declare and says it's done research that shows that businesses that are signatories to the bond payment code are reporting better payment practice than those that aren't. If that's the case, then surely government should be encouraging that and not promoting businesses that are not doing the right thing. That's and interesting, isn't it? Because I think we need to put the prompt payment argument into the same place as modern slavery and gender mm-hmm. equality, all of those things that says that if a business is, is abusing its supply chain and exploiting its supply chain, why would government want to you know, promote that business and encourage it and support it? And I think there is a disconnect, isn't there? Because I think you're absolutely right. There are two, and these, these are things that I often find, um, you know, there's some confusion about the, the duty to report and the prompt payment code, which are, you know, they're meant to be complementary, but they are separate things. And, and actually quite rightly, um, you know, it's quite, it was rightly said, not whether it's the right thing, but prompt payment code is a voluntary um, code. But again, you know, you look at the data, some of the data coming out of the duty to report. And as you know, I've looked at this in the past, it is kind of all over the place. And you get some very, very funny, um, very funny patterns emerging. And actually, it's again, a, a sense that it's a, a box ticking. And it doesn't necessarily matter as long as you're reporting information. What that information is actually is, is, is kind of irrelevant. And the prompt payment code really helps to make that relevant and, and for the act to achieve its aims of, of businesses being paid, paid more on time. So there should be much tighter um, linkage between those, those two things. But, but you see, if, if this issue turned up as a regular um, question from the floor at AGMs and was reported on by, um, by the media, uh, in, in, in a sense, they do occasion. I mean, every now and again, I see something about payment practices. But you know, if 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 we could only uh, encourage more reporting, you know, that's another sort of transparency. It's 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 not enough just to stick it in note three hundred and forty six at the back of a hundred and forty six page um, a report that nobody ever gets beyond page four of. You know, the the edited highlights. Um, then uh, you know you, you've got to have public scrutiny and. So having a, a disinterested government really, really, really doesn't help, does it? It doesn't. I mean, the Federation of Small Business has been campaigning for a long time, saying that government should require businesses to have a, an NED or a direct a responsible trade payment practice um, so that there's right. a, an ownership of all them. And, of course, the, the, the consultation way back last year um, on um, audit and corporate governance um, has an element in that. It's one section, section three, I think it is, um, that talks about how reporting of payment practice might be improved and might be, you know, in, 
developed mm. and enhanced. Um, and, and whether that will ever see the light of day in the government's response, we don't know yet, because government said it would publish in December and still hasn't published its response, we don't know. Um, whether that will come out in an England's brief speech, we don't know. There was noises last week from the um, Bayes committee um, saying that it should be included in the screen speech. Um, but my suspicion is that, you know, that particular section is not, not going to get any any noise um, when the response comes out, because it was, I don't know how many pages, you know, several hundred pages, and yeah. this was two paragraphs. So it's unlikely to get a lot of attention. But, but you know, government has all this data, and you talk about Joe, um, and the report, talk, the review talks about the impact that Build UK has had in the construction sector because they regularly publish league tables and have seen a real transformation in some businesses of that. Um, there's a good business pays campaign that's doing some work and has been reporting some numbers on it. Um, and government talks about that being an indication of how it's working well. But government has this data. Why is government not using it and reporting on it? Um, mm. and, and if, you know, if the data is there, and it's been there for the last sort of three or four years now. So we've got trends and we've got, you know, comparisons and, and so on. That information could be used by government to make its case for why this is so important that feeds into the ESG agenda and all of those things. But it's sitting on the sidelines watching it um, and encouraging some other organizations that are doing something, but not using that data, not promoting it. Um, and the other thing I think, which is the second, the other objective of the legislation and the regulations was to help small businesses make more informed decisions. Yeah. You know, and I, you know, I, I, I venture to suggest that the vast majority of small businesses have never heard of this, wouldn't yeah. know where to look, and if they look, wouldn't know what to look for. Um, so in the same way as the vast majority have never heard of the prompt payment code. So, you know, government, I think, has a duty to push this out, promote it, and raise awareness of it. But it's not important enough to do that. No. <clears throat> no. Have you looked at the obvious? Sorry, I'm asking the obvious question. You obviously do monitor the the the, the data that is is around there. And one of the things that concerned me was whether uh, there's been a deterioration in payment practices, or the demonstrable deterioration, and to what extent that is. COVID-related and all the cash flow uncertainty and business uncertainties that we've that we've experienced over the last two years. I think there's a there's a sort of it's sort of two tracks. And I think on the one hand, there's businesses that that took a responsible view in COVID and really tried to support their supply chains. Yeah. Where people like Taylor Wimpy and Morrison that the pay people immediately and did better and so on. Um, and then there's the ones that effectively saw this as an opportunity and, and, and grasped mm -hmm. both hands and used it as a way of, of, of not paying. Um, and I think there's, um, so we've seen some improvements um, and some of those have carried on beyond because businesses found they could su sustain that and it was yep. something to do, um, particularly for their smaller suppliers. And the changes that brought payment codes that now require you know, 95% of small invoice small supply invoices to paid in 30 days has had an impact too. But then there's the, the other side, which is which got worse. So I, I've not looked at the trends and, and the, deep, the data in any great detail, but my suspicion is that the, the, the worse have got worse and the better have probably got better. Better. And, and, and of course, the, the other factor that's probably beginning to play out right now is the extent to which 
major major companies are having to redesign their supply chains because of what's happening you know with china and its zero covid policy um you know ukraine russia etc and and uh, to the the extent to which they're now dealing with a whole raft of new suppliers probably smaller suppliers in many in many cases because they've gone away from you know from um just in time to just in case yeah. and 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 to the extent to which how are they going to treat those new suppliers? Because in a funny sort of way, some of the dynamics of the relationship between major corporations and their supply chain have moved because, you know, the the, the cosy relationships, multinational to multinational in supply chains aren't working, you know, I, I suspect in many cases, certainly not in the motor trade. And, no. you know, look at what's happening with Ukraine and the motor manufacturers and wiring harnesses, without getting too nitty gritty about this, where they're having to find other ways of getting wiring harnesses because too many of them were coming out of Ukraine. Yeah. You know? So so how are they treating their new suppliers and 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 I think this will be the, there's probably some fascinating research to be done in another year or so on 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 that. I think that's true, and I think that you know if you I mean you know shipping costs have gone up three or fourfold in the last couple of years. Mm. Um, if you're bringing stuff in from from the Far East um, and all the Ukraine and, and Russia impacts are, are, are really huge. Um, and if you're a procurement person and you're trying to make sure keep production in flow then it's got to make sense to be looking more locally at supply yes. and yep. support. But if you say they'll be smaller, um, but they'll also be more dynamic, more flexible, and, and more innovative quite often. So it could yep. be a good thing. But I think the, the quid pro quo is that, you know, you're going to have to make sure they're sustainable. Yep. Um, and that means paying them on time, looking after them, working with them, and treating them as partners rather than just suppliers. Um, yep. And I hope that, you know, tied into the ESG agenda to an extent as well, you know, this will lead to a, a much better communicating um, environment in which businesses do see their supply chains as partners um, and work with them. Yeah. And yeah. I think I think actually a call for, for better data, better sharing of data in general. I mean, that seems to be, you know, clearly one of the one of the ways of, of, of kind of building partnerships is kind of transparency, data sharing, all these other, um, these other things. That, and, and to be fair, I think the government are starting to make starting to make more data available it's just you know the kind of joining up of these um these these elements making it you know the unique the thing we always say is about having a unique identifier so you can actually match up data sets which is in the uk company registration number you know all these all these things need to be a bit more thought thought through and i'm gonna i'm gonna leave on a final point because i know that we're, we're getting quite close to the um the end of our time but you know we're before we started recording, we were talking about the um, the forthcoming Queen speech, and you know, I'm I'm quite optimistic that the the second part of the economic crime bill will be will be presented, and we'll get those companies' house reforms at last. Philip, I think had a note of um, cautious uh, caution to, to to put onto that, which is that I think your experience has, has been things being promised and then mysteriously disappearing at the last minute. But um, I think I shall stay on my glass half full um, side of that. But I think you know this 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 idea that. That we do need more information, more um, more sharing, is the way that the businesses can kind of move forward in this really uncertain time and, and kind of understand the risks that they're they're taking on. Um, and, and we do that by um, by improving governance and and, and improving the, um, the 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 environment in which businesses are able to operate here in the UK.
Yeah, but, well, yes, I was just going to say, and what we need is um, uh, is, is is government and, and not necessarily at ministerial level, but at operational level to take ownership mm. of the implications of the legislation that it enacts. Yeah. Here, here. Yeah. yeah, I think that, that sounds like a very a very good point to end on. So um, all that remains is to me to thank very much Nick and Philip for, for joining thank us you. today. It's a pleasure, as really always. Really interesting discussion. Until next time, goodbye.